Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Oh boy, oh boy, what a beautiful day. <laughs> what a glorious day. Hope, uh, hope we all can find some time to be out in it. It's uh, September 29th, 2021. Uh, I want you to know, just up front, that uh, around halfway through the program, we will be joined by somebody who will not be here to depress us in any way. Uh, in fact, it'll be a uh, a respite, okay? I don't know how long he'll stay, but I'm just saying that uh, if things get a little intense here, you can hold on for um, a chuckle or two. Uh, so. There's that. And now, back to reality. Although, you know, I, I, let, let's be honest. I mean, we, we in our lives, in our individual lives, there are moments of uh, still joy, delight, human interaction, all that kind of old-fashioned stuff. Uh, I've been reading so much that I now have such a jumble of information and facts and impressions floating around in my head at all times that I sometimes almost feel dizzy. And I'm I'm not, not necessarily always certain where something has come from. Did I read that? Did I think that? Did someone tell me that? I don't know. Oh, here's something I know. I watched, I know a lot of you are watching uh, Hearst on PBS, and I will get around to seeing it. I'm just not seeing it in uh, right now. Uh, I happened upon uh, one of, I, a truly a brilliant movie I have not watched in a long, 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 long time. My God, it's good. And prescient and a warning that wasn't heeded because it was delivered in a comical way. And that is uh, Network, that extraordinary movie. I think uh, written by Patty, Patty Chayefsky. And it was, it was telling us <laughs> what television was going to do to us, what this particular medium would end up uh, doing to us. And, and a lot of the warning was it would make us into products, that we are not people, we are viewed by the people who run the networks as products that they then sell to corporations who advertise on their air. And it is done so, I mean, anybody who has worked in television, watching it, I think laughs more than other people watching it because it is so dead on, even when it seems so over the top. 
about what drives television programming and decision making. And those of us who've worked in it know it's not over the top at all. <laughs> it's, it's almost like a documentary in that regard. But wow, I didn't look up like how many Oscars they that movie had to have won, but it had to have won a ton. Uh, the performances alone in it are are mind blowing. If you have a chance, please revisit, or if you've never seen it, my God, please watch uh, Network. It's uh, the performance by Faye Dunaway is absolutely uh, it's just brilliant. Uh, Ned Beatty, who recently died character actor, most known for the rape scene in Deliverance, has a small role that he just nails. I mean, it's just astonishing. I'm sorry. I'm just, I was so blown away by it. I just wanted to tell you that. That's a great movie. Oh, so, I think Susan and I talked about this a little bit uh, yesterday, how, you know, these mandates, the vaccine mandates are kicking in, and uh, some workers are being kicked out, which they were warned about. Either get vaccinated or you're out of here. And there's a, a wonderful uh I don't. Th I think we talked about this yesterday, but I'm I'm not quite sure. Um, this shows again how media, in trying to sell a story, and this is now not television. This is print. Trying to sell a story goes for what would be the the more disturbing aspect of a story and highlights it. Because disturbing attracts more eyeballs than this worked out wonderfully. That doesn't attract eyeballs. We are attracted to what went wrong? What happened? Who got hurt? Something's that is and 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 newspapers and television and radio and everybody we, they know that. They toy with human psychology. And, and so even at the better journalistic outlets like the Washington Post, there's this headline yesterday. <clears throat> North Carolina hospital system fires about 178 workers in one of the largest ever mass terminations they don't say where, one of the largest ever mass terminations, what? In North Carolina, in the world? But I mean, this is, this is like screaming headline, largest ever mass terminations due to vaccine mandate. First of all, that's one of the longest headlines I've seen in some time. But there's all those negatives there. Hospital system fires and uh, 175 Largest ever mass terminations, mandate, vaccine. There it is. It's all there. Red flags, red flags, red flags. And then you read it 
And it says that there, yeah, about 175 uh, unvaccinated employees who didn't comply with the mandate were uh, dismissed. Um, then they say later, not too long, they say that this particular hospital system is huge. It was like UPMC. So it said that across 15 hospitals and 800 clinics, it has suspended about 175 people. Now, I read that in the second paragraph, and I think, well, 800 clinics, 15 hospitals? We got to be talking about tens of thousands of employees. I mean, this is a huge employer. And then in paragraph, I don't know, four or five, we find out. Why, of course, can't I find it? Yeah, here it is in paragraph five. Now, remember that headline. Paragraph five, we find out that the head of the health system told the Washington Post that more than 99% of the system's roughly 35,000 employees We're vaccinated. So you tell me, what is the headline here? More than 99% after a mandate, after the employer said you, you get vaccinated or you're out of here, over 99% complied and a mere a little drop in the bucket, less than 1% of their employees refused. That's the headline. And this is irresponsible. I have a degree in journalism. I took all the classes about what good reporting is and how to understand what the job of a reporter is and and the importance of well you could say the headline is not untrue but it is not the meat of the story it is in fact the exact opposite the headline should be over 99% of employees comply with hospital system vaccine mandate. Over 99%. That's amazing. And I see these stories again and again and again. United Airlines says, here's another headline. Is this Washington Post too? Okay, here's another headline, Washington Post. 
United Airlines says nearly all workers met vaccine mandate deadline. 593 could face termination. Okay, so this is essentially the same story, different employer. And in this headline, the Washington Post gets gets it right. And this is 593 people could be terminated. But they understood that the story is that the mandate worked. <coughs> and I don't know what percent, the company said less than 3% of its 67,000 employees applied for exemptions. 1% did not. And so again, this is 1% that in no way complied. Not quite as good as the hospital system, but there you have it. These mandates are working. They've worked in New York State. They've worked in New York City. And yet what the press keeps covering and media keep covering is that tiny. Let's understand how tiny. We're talking about 1%. The tiny, tiny, tiny minority of loud lunatics. But they, they, they hardly deserve coverage. If 99% of something is one thing, yeah, they, they, everybody is complying, and you've got 1% over here who's not, the story is the 99%, not the one. And yet, we're constantly being told to try to understand this one. The reality here, and it is really good, is that mandates work. <clears throat> now, after I've told you that, I got to share with you a story that I read right before the show started. I almost did what Susan often does. I got so sucked in to the reality of this one man's life that I totally forgot I was you know, doing a show. Thank God I finished at two minutes to 10. And it's a piece in the New York Times business section about one man who works at Walmart. Just one guy. I so love pieces like this. This is where I, you know, I've been railing against 99% one, the story is the 99. And here I'm saying, this is a, I love stories like this about the one. A story that puts a human face on a bigger story. And this kind of, uh, what's called a feature report, this kind of feature reporting can uh, can also elevate uh, things that shouldn't be elevated, but in this case does not. And the headline here is a headline designed to grab you, just like the other bad headline was. Here's this headline. Every day is frightening. 
There's a grabber. Whoa, I got to read that. What is it about a lion tamer? Every day is frightening. And it's a story about working at a Walmart in Baton Rouge, Louisiana during COVID. And I, one of the things I was thinking when I read it is, again, those of us, and I'm including those of you that I, you know, I don't know, but you you will know if you are to be included that have that have been privileged throughout this pandemic, uh, privileged with uh, taking in facts as opposed to craziness, uh, gotten vaccinated, were able to, you know, have whatever. We, we've had a relatively easy time in this awful time. And then there's the people who have had to live in terror throughout if they wanted to eat. They had to go to work in places that did not value their health and safety. These are those frontline workers. Let me just, I'll cut to the chase. Here's the last quote in this story, and it's from this guy, the worker. They say we're essential, but they treat us like we're disposable. His name is Peter Naughton, a nice-looking 44-year-old man who lives with his elderly parents in Baton Rouge. Um, he tried, he had a place for a while of his own, but he couldn't, he couldn't make it not on, um, the $11 and 55 cent hourly wage, uh, he was making. So he had to move back in with his parents and he's had to work at a very unforgiving employer, Walmart, an employer. Well, I'll, I'll just. I'll share some of the story with you because this is, these are, his life is emblematic of the lives of so many. He's a cashier at Walmart or also a self-checkout host. <laughs> That's those people who help us when we're trying to self-check out. And he also is an epileptic. And the story starts with him waking up on the floor in his home, his parents' home, with his mother hovering over him. And she says, he's trying to come to, he, she's saying, you know, you, you had another seizure. You've, uh, and, and he said, what time is it? And she's, told him he says oh my god I, i've got to get to work and she said no 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 you can't go to work now after an epileptic seizure you are not in a position to jump up and 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 run to work he was not well he had this blinding headache and he said no i have to go i have to go because 
he has very limited paid time off. And so that supersedes, that reality supersedes self-care. So he's trying to get up. And he eventually just feels like he can't. And he says to his mother, okay, okay, you're right. Uh, So he dialed his employer. No answer. He dialed again. No answer. He dials. No answer. No answer. Nobody's picking up the phone. And because there's a penalty for missing work without having given notice that you're not coming in, even though he was sick and reeling from this seizure, he got up and he said, I got to go in. I can't get through to him. I got to go in. And he made his way to the Walmart and clocked in. The people he deals with are mostly unmasked. And as he says, they're angry. They're angry and they're aggressive. He says, I don't know what has happened. It wasn't always like this. It's become hostile. People are really on edge. They fight with you or with each other. The other day, a woman wanted to fight over a price of potatoes. You can even see it in how people drive, like they have a death wish. And so you've got this poor guy who's vaccinated, by the way, and lives in terror of bringing the vaccine home to his elderly parents. His father cannot be vaccinated because of underlying health conditions. He cannot be vaccinated, so he is vulnerable. you imagine this poor soul goes to work every day and is in fear for his life and his parents' life? Now, let's understand Walmart, <laughs> the largest private employer, right, in the, in the United States. So magnify this guy's story by a hundred times, a hundred thousand times. I don't know, a hundred, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand times. I don't know. Oh, no, it'd be more than that. Millions. It employs 36,000 people in Louisiana alone. So, yeah. And guess what? During the uh, pandemic, business has been good. For Walmart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, uh, their revenues were up $35 billion last year. And yet, they did little to use any of that money for workforce protections or safety. And in fact, they've made it very hard uh, for people to be safe. And I know this to be a fact because <clears throat> people I, I do know 
work for employers, small employers that don't give them any benefits. So if you don't show up at work, you don't get paid. And these are the kind of jobs that don't pay much to start with. So what happens in that situation? I'll tell you what happens in that situation. People go to work sick. In a pandemic, that's not so good. There is a research group was trying to figure out what that reality that people fearful of losing their jobs or money that don't get enough sick leave go to work while sick during the pandemic. And one group called Human Impact has estimated that Walmart could have saved probably over 130 lives with a more generous sick time, sick leave policy. And could have probably prevented God knows how many thousands of COVID cases, the spread of the disease. Researchers have uh, estimated that some 125,000 Walmart workers got COVID just from February of 2020 to February of this year. They let people without masks in all the time. They don't in any way allow any social distancing to be enforced. And get this, when an employee attempts to insert themselves, to say to somebody, hey, you've got to wear a mask, Walmart jumps on the employee. Listen to what he says. If I ask people to wear a mask or socially distance, they get mad and then they'll tell my manager. And then I have to go get coached. That's what happens if a complaint comes in from a from a customer about an associate. They have to get coached. And he tells us if you get coached too many times, you lose your job. And this is interesting. Says right here, a Walmart spokesman did not dispute that. (laughs) Walmart has essentially put all these people in a position to risk, again, their livelihood and their lives if they ask some customer to do the right thing. Because if that customer complains and then another customer complains, that, well, there goes your job. So I just, you know, I don't know. It's just so important to remember the reality of what so many Americans are having to deal with in these times and because of these just stupid people. And I, 
and more than the stupid people, it's the not stupid people, the cynical people, like over at Fox News and the others, who have manipulated this crisis to grow their audience and to create more division. Because I think Vladimir Putin sends them paychecks. I don't know. This is a, the Russians couldn't have dreamed up anything better. Ed writes, Network is my top American film. Yeah. Superb at all levels. Sidney Lumet's masterful direction orchestrates all the elements to maximum impact. Patty Chayefsky's brilliant. Oh, darkly satirical screenplay became prophetic about television's obsession with ratings. There's that great line. <laughs> he was the first man who was ever actually killed, murdered, for having bad ratings. Jesus. <laughs> Well-deserved, oh, thank you. Well-deserved Oscars went to Chayefsky for the screenplay, to Peter Finch as the, the lead character as the mad prophet of the airwaves, to Faye Dunaway, good, and her coldly ambitious executive, and Beatrice Strait, who had a very small role, but who did, I mean, who again, it was, she was amazing, it was. So she won. Beatty should have won. Yeah. Barbara sent me a list of the world's 10 richest families. I don't think yours is on here because I don't know. Let's see. No, mine's not either. The Waltons, number one. The Mars. The Cokes. The Al-Sauds. The Ambani's. The Dumas. The Wertheimer. I don't know who that is. And the Johnson. I guess that's uh, Johnson & Johnson, right? Who the hell knows? Well, in as much as any of them are doing good with that money, that's good. But uh, my sense is that uh, the vast majority of them are not. That's my guess. Oh, speaking of uh, COVID, I got one other little thing I came across. want to share to you. Uh, share with you. And uh, let's see. This is from that uh, governor of Alabama. <clears throat> the gravelly voice, her voice, it, it's so funny. I, I'm sorry, because when I once heard her voice, I think it was on, in a, on the radio or the TV was on and I wasn't looking at it. I, I mean, I had no doubt that it was the voice of a man. She has got such an um, low, 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 masculine voice. And she looks like a little white-haired grandmother. <laughs> so it's sort of, she explodes when you're looking at her and hearing the voice. To me, it just, you know, I get some cognitive dissonance going, which is great, fine. And, you know, that's on me for making assumptions. Uh, her name is Kay Ivy. 
you know, all these uh, governors and counties and everybody got these federal COVID funds that they're now, you know, dispersing, supposed to help with the financial impact of, uh, of the pandemic. Do you know what Governor Ivey is doing with the federal funds for COVID relief? She's building prisons. She's building prisons. I mean, you can't make it up. What are Republican hearts made of? What are they made of? Are they, is, is there, sometimes it is really hard, and I consider myself an empath, it is really hard to slide into the shoes of a conservative, or let's just say not conservative, a, a Republican, excuse me, because there's a difference, because Republicans are not conservatives. They're just mean. <laughs> They're just mean and hateful and mad for power. Yeah. Forget which senator has asked the Treasury Secretary uh, Yellen to look in, look into that. Is that proper use of that money? Yellen, meanwhile, has a few things on her plate, um, you know, which uh, has to do with Republicans, again, of course, doing the wrong thing. Because if there's one thing you can absolutely count on, it's that Republicans will do the wrong thing. And then there are people like Joe Manchin and Cinema who are supposedly Democrats, but they seem to uh, be doing the bidding of the Republicans. The Republicans certainly must, if you ask any Republican, who are your favorite Democratic senators? We know the answer. We know the answer. And I am so sick of these two I am so angry at these two. I, and I, I, you know, I was saying earlier, I have all these thoughts and facts flying around in my head. And one of them, and I don't know where I read it, but it has stuck with me because it is, it, it, it does help, uh, you know, at least explain our political system with just its two parties is unusual. I, I mean, in, in most democracies, there are a ton of parties. Now you could say, well, we have the Green Party and the this party and the that party. Yeah, 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 let's get real. We've got two parties. One of them has become literally an anti-democratic party and uh, looks more and more to be a neo-fascist party, those Republicans. And then there's the Democrats. 
Now, in any other democracy, if you look at the const- at the what constitutes the Democratic Party, the points of view, the the range, the spectrum of of uh, where the Democrats stand on, on on issues. The reality is, is if we were a European country or if this were a parliamentary system, the Democratic Party, the, the, the people who comprise the Democratic Party would really be a compilation of four, five, six, seven, or eight parties. And that's why the Democrats are always called the big tent party, because they take in everybody who doesn't fit in the neo-fascist party. So that even when somebody who refuses to belong to either and manages to get elected as an independent, invariably those independents caucus not with the Republicans, they caucus with the Big Ten Party, the Democrats. So, obviously, you are going to, because of the way media portray our politics, you are going to get endless stories about, let's see, what are the words they always use? The disarray in the Democratic Party. The open warfare in the Democratic Party. Well, yeah, because they're not a bunch of automatons who jump when Donald Trump or Mitch McConnell say jump. And it's not that I'm necessarily taking uh, some consolation uh, in that when I think of mansion and cinema. But the reason the Democratic Party looks like America, it's got all colors, all religions, all everybody. And the reason the Republicans look like an America that white nationalists want is because the Democrats are open to discussion, to compromise. And what you have, what we have now is not unlike And you can see it doesn't work very well. What we have is not unlike what I would suggest the Israeli uh, government is right now. You had a bunch of small parties who had very little in common except their hatred of Bibi Netanyahu. You had them get together for that common purpose and finally knock that SOB out of office. But then they had to govern. <laughs> and you've got people at more disparate there than the than the difference between 
Joe Manchin and uh, Ilan Omar. Like, there's a bigger difference in that coalition government that is now running Israel. And so I can't imagine they're going to be able to make much moves, any progress, because what they had in common, they've already accomplished. They've knocked off Netanyahu. So I don't, I don't know. Um, We've essentially got a, if we were a parliamentary system, we essentially have a coalition government. And by the slimmest, just like it's not much different than the Israelis, it's occurred to me. I don't know. You know, I told you I was going to have, we're going to have a respite, but I'm being told we have someone calling in. Let me see who's there. Uh, Caller, are you there? All right, what? All right, when? Yes, this is Paul. John. 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 I, didn't, I never gave my name to John. Hi. Oh, Hello? hi. Hi, go ahead. Were, but you called in on a different number. I, I, I mean, so, okay, whatever. It's okay, it's okay. What's up? Oh, okay, it's the number that's up on YouTube. Okay, uh, well, then, uh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. I was waiting for a guest who's not called, oh. so I'm a little confused. So go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I'll make it, I'll, <laughs> I'll make it very quick. Um, I have to okay. learn to use I have to uh, learn to use email so I can call you. I have a backlog of stuff that I was going to call you about over like the last two years. So anyway, oh. uh, <laughs> I know, I know. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Um, so my thing was that um, you started to talk about um, network and then you got into that story about the man at Walmart. And I was reminded uh, for different reasons about a um, another filmmaker who I think really uh, you know Ken Loach? No. You remember that? He's a British. He's a British film director, Ken Loach, and he's 85 now, and he's still making films. And he's always made these films that have been really, at the moment, like he started out in the Thatcher administration, or before that, he was always a filmmaker, but he started to make these things about normal people's lives and working class mm-hmm. normal people's lives. And he used a lot of non-actors for it, but he gets these great performances and he tells these really great stories. And when, like, for instance, when Hollywood would tackle a subject like, for instance, layoffs or, you know, take over one company and then everyone gets laid off or fired or et cetera, et cetera, it's always overwrought and hyperdramatic and, and, and honestly just never really gives you anything, but Loach, uh, he just, so anyway, he made a film recently along these lines of one of the many films he made along these lines, um, called sorry, we missed you. And it was about this company that's sort of like an Amazon, but it's not Amazon. It's sort of like a British company, white man, white van man, uh, uh, situation where these people, they, they get these white vans and they do package deliveries. And the, it hits on, on so many of these things and he dramatizes it in a really effective way. And I think that, um, so I just wanted to recommend that. I wasn't okay. going to call in about that, but you were talking about it. And I just really, um, I really feel like everyone could just, it's, it's phenomenal that and he's 85. So he's still making, he's wow. still one of the best, he's still one of the best filmmakers in this area. 
Ken Loach. Um, Loach. Sorry, we, I, well, sorry thank we missed you for you. that. No, sure. I'm, I'm really. Yeah, so, I, I, I'll definitely look him look him up. There is no doubt that our capacity for understanding um, stories about you know hundreds of people or thousands of people or laid off or this it just doesn't. It's one person's story that. And and, is, and, this, and you see how it affects his family. What Loach is doing so well is his family is drawn into it. The stress of the sure. father who is who's a construction worker, he can no longer do construction, taking on one of these jobs, and the sacrifices the family makes to help him do the job. The companies extract so many um, conditions out of you. You have to buy your own van. You have to do all these things. You're under these clocks. You have these things monitoring you. If you take a pee break, you're, things like that, and how it affects him, how it affects his family. And it sounds like it's a bummer, and in a way it kind of is, but honestly, it's just, it's the best way of, of dramatizing what is not something that is easily conveyed without, without going overboard or without overdoing right. it, you know? Right. And right. so anyway, that's what, and, and uh, just about um, uh, some other time, I'll send you an email about elephants. Uh, that's about a year and a half ago. You were talking about elephants communicating and how they oh, did it. And, and, yeah. and I remember you were talking with Susan and I thought, Oh, I'll have to like call in, but I guess we never have the time. But well, they, um, go ahead. I know. I wish you would call. You're a good caller. I wish you would call more, but, uh, but, uh, your time is more important than, uh, than no, I just, it's hard. It's just hard. But yeah, I'll have to like, I'll have to like send you an email on that and then, and then, uh, uh, the link, but uh, basically I did some work at the Pittsburgh zoo and I saw some, I saw some of this up close and it was really cool. So I'll have to let you know about that, but you got to get on your caller. So I'll, uh, I'll pop up, no. you know? Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Lynn. Appreciate you, John. Thank you. Uh, Bye-bye. Bye. 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 No, the guy I told you was going to call in and give us some respite from the is not called in. I am so confused. I am flummoxed and mixed up. And now I have a friend telling me, geez, I didn't know she died. What do you mean? How did I miss that old bit? Uh, my friend Pat is telling me <clears throat> that a wonderful, wonderful woman I had the pleasure of knowing and working with back at WTAE TV has has died. Jean Connolly. Now I you know you gotta be an old, old, older person in Pittsburgh to perhaps remember Jean. She was one of the first women I believe she was one of the first women on television in Pittsburgh. Just a lovely, lovely, lovely woman. I, I I don't have her obit here, so I can't give her biography and what she, when I knew her, uh, she was still working there, but not on air in any capacity. I can't even quite remember what she maybe was in promotions or in the, I don't know, but gosh, what a wonderful human being. She had to be well, well, well into her 90s. She lived a long life and she was a beautiful, wonderful soul. I'm, I'm Pat. Thank you for telling me, but I didn't know. I think I missed that. They always think I'm the obit queen. How did I miss Jean? Oh, God. 
so? Well, I, I'm I'm still so flummoxed about being uh, stood up. There must have been a misunderstanding. <laughs> so uh, I don't I don't know what to say to you. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I what I woke up to today. You know, I oh thank you. You're, are you sending me the thank you? I appreciate that. Thanks, Pat. Uh, oh, they're not letting me access it. She's 97 years old. Oh, look at her. Uh, let's see. She was 97. One of the original employees at WTAE in 1958, where she launched her own talk show. See, I didn't know. I didn't know she had a talk show. That, although that would have been different than the Gene Connolly show from 1960 through 1973. Uh, she anchored. She hosted women's championship bowling. Oh, and she interviewed a lot of like big shots, right, on this show. But they don't tell me who. I bet she did. I bet she did. Uh, she left on air in 1975 and, uh, worked as, okay, director of public service for the next 13 years. She was the first woman from Western Pennsylvania to be inducted into the Pennsylvania Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Oh, man. Well, she was something. Oh, wonderful. She was so, such a, she was everything I'm not. She was, you know, she, she was, she was quiet. She never sort of, you know, drew attention to herself, which believe me for somebody who was on television is not the norm. Um, she was just extraordinarily kind and good i i i I can't and i i haven't seen her in a long 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 time wow Hmm. everybody's dying i have to tell you everybody's dying and you know what that's the thing i woke up to today uh Bachman's Warbler. He's died. Dead. Gone. There aren't any more. A beautiful little yellow-breasted songbird. Gone. Finished. The uh, people who decide such things, who put species on the uh, endangered species list, uh, have... uh, now taken some of them off the endangered species list and you know every time i hear that i think oh good so they no it's not good it means they're extinct they can't find anymore they move from excuse me from endangered to kaput and uh this is just 
um, there's 11 birds. These are just American, not global. Global, the numbers are huge. 11 birds are no more. A whole bunch of freshwater mussels that populated the Mississippi River and other rivers in the South and the Midwest, they're gone, finished. Plants, a bat, they can't find any, any. And you know, when you read of these um, animals that are now gone, it just, we, if if we care to own it, must acknowledge that we killed them. Almost every single extinct species is because of us. Every single one. All of these that they've announced today are because we cut down their the forests they needed to their habitats, we polluted and dammed up their rivers that they lived in, we pollute everything, we poach, we overfish, we overkill, we we are the worst. I am telling you we're the worst. Own it the most vile species ever created. And as much beauty as we're capable of creating. Our main, our, what we will leave as our legacy is destruction. Destruction. I believe I have a caller. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Um, you, earlier, you were talking about um, that, you know COVID and how ridiculous our our country's responses to everything and people's. Um, I, I have a story to share, a personal story. Um, my wife had to go to the emergency room a couple of weeks ago, and nothing major. Just she had to get some stitches. She cut her hand, and we went in there, and the ER doctor who attended to her. Um, I actually saw him for my visit a couple of years ago, and he recognized me, and I recognized him. Nice man. And, you know, I've been hearing all these stories about, like, you know, the impact that COVID's had on the healthcare industry and everything. And so I just said, hey, I'm just going to ask you a question. How are you doing? And he says, you really want to know the truth? I said, well, yeah. He says, let's put it this way. I've been an ER doctor for over 25 years. And this past March, I couldn't take it anymore. I'm down to two days a month working. I wow. can't take it anymore. I've been an ER doctor for 25 years, and I thought I was tough. It's, but it just got too much. I was watching colleagues getting sick and die. And it really it took a toll on me. It freaked me out after a year. I just, I just can't do this anymore. So wow. he's down to t- two days a month. And the rest of his time he spends, he's a virtual doctor and he's working with the, prison, um, the local prison systems because, you know, virtually to 
help uh, inmates out. Is that you know, I, I you're you're reminding me that I I bumped into a guy who I knew as a as a doctor, and asked him how he was doing, and he let he completely left, and is now working on um, environmental causes. He says I've decided to move on to something that also needs saving, but at least this way he doesn't have to deal with the you know. I don't know. It's a different kind of horror he's moved on to, but yeah, he's pulled out too. So I, I, you can't imagine, really. I mean, I mean, I mean going people, if you, and I think it's like, you know, and these are things, I mean, I think I, I try to pay attention. I know things, um, but I can't imagine the yahoos who just don't think it's a thing or I'm strong. I'm young. I'll, I'll survive. You know, but the things that they don't think about, what even I didn't think about, was okay. The impact it is helping on the healthcare and workers. Um, yeah. He said, so he says, a shortage. He says, he says, and there's guilt along with my decision. Oh, I sure. That. I, I'm leaving my, my, my colleagues. He's abandoning his colleagues. Right. That's right. Says, uh, yeah. And, he, and the other thing he says, right now I've got three patients who are. Whoops. Well, he's gone. All right. Well, yeah. So there's that. No, oh, God. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, you totally dropped out. Totally. Yeah, it must be my headset. But no, the other thing he said that, that, that you and I may know, but people don't think about, he said, I've got three patients who've been waiting three days for a hospital bed because they're all filled up in uh, COVID patients right now. Now, mind you, we're talking Allegheny County, which would be considered, you know, yeah, in Western so Pennsylvania. We're, yeah, we're the not best. So bad. We're the best. In yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we still, he says, I can't get patients. Like, there's no beds for patients in my hospital. And I'm like, I didn't know that. Not here. We're, we're you know, we're fairly progressive. Um, but, you no, know, these no. are the. So you can, you can imagine. And that's why people are being literally dying for want of an ICU bed who themselves are vaccinated. They've done all the right thing, but they can't get in because the dumbbells are in all the beds. Do you think at some point, no, I'm here. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Do you think at some point we just create, you know, we, we got these auditoriums and we just, you know, these big gymnasiums, whatever, and we just create a place just for COVID patients. Anybody needs who normally we hospitalize, we put you there, we do the best we can, but we just can't afford to, to, to let you screw up everything else for patients who are really in need of and following the rules. How inhumane would that be considered? I don't know. I, you know, this is what, you know, I'm sure the ethicists are, uh, the way medical ethics work, you can't turn down a person for being, stupid or even being a jerk or even, you know, stop and think the, um, the, uh, the, when tree of life happened, the, the killer ended up at AGH because he had been shot too. Um, and the ER docs there, including, I guess, this guy who lives right across from tree of life and is Jewish himself Worked on him, saved him. So you save 
Yeah. You, the ethic is you don't, it's a human being. That's all it is. It's a human being in distress. And I guess it's first come, first served. Uh, you know, if you're taking up a bed, I, I really don't, I don't, I, uh, my, my sense is throw them out the door. I don't, I don't, you know, in as much if I could, you know, there are people more deserving of care who have done nothing to cause themselves to be there. But if you get into this, then you get into if somebody's obese or smoked, do you, do they have the same, you know what I mean? You start, you get into like some rough territory. So well, hey, well, we're well, out I, of time. Wait, wait, wait. We're, okay. out of, we're way out. Wait, wait. I just noticed we're out of time. So okay. I don't know. It's way over my pay grade to talk about this, but I know my inclination is throw them out I, I, and, and save the people who have done the right thing. Uh, but, I, I'm not saying throw them out. I, I'm just saying it's like you're a COVID patient. Would you go to the COVID care unit? Oh, it happens to be the armory over there. But and we'll have me medical staff waiting for you. But we're, you can't take up space in, in the hospital anymore. We're going to well, put the you in. Well, the, the problem is, is advanced COVID cases require ICU. And you can't yeah. do ICU in the armory. So got to yeah. go. Yeah. All righty. All right. Well, cool. for the rest I'm of your sorry. day, it's beautiful out Thank there. Thank you. you. Yeah, it is. Okay, you too. Okay. Bye -bye. Appreciate it. Bye. So, um, guys, uh, listen. I'm sorry I uh, suggested that uh, I would give you some respite with this guest, and I'll now go try to find out what the hell happened. Okay. Uh, have a good one. I'll see you tomorrow, maybe. Bye. <laughs> Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.